0: Well, we are on the heels of Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we had a great chance last Sunday to do some reflecting upon uh, myself and Andrew and Thena, some of our Thanksgiving memories and, and what we can learn about having uh, a sense of Thanksgiving that comes from the book of Psalms. And this week we're gonna jump right back into the series that we are in the middle of where we're focusing upon this idea of new life. New life that all of us can individually, personally experience, but also new life that we have the ability to be agents of in other people's lives. And kind of the model we've been using to go through this series are the relationships that Jesus had in his life. And so we started the first week talking about Jesus and his heavenly father, that most foundational, most enduring relationship, the relationship that really was the source of all new life that he and we can experience. And then we talked about the inner three that he had a close personal relationship with where, where Jesus and Peter, James, and John, these three guys, had this chance to encourage each other. Jesus could mentor them, and then they went on to mentor, encourage, and lead others. We talked about the 12, uh, the 12 disciples, which were essentially Jesus' life group, the, the 12 guys that he did life with through the th- last three and a half years of his ministry. And as you can tell, at each step of the way, the circle gets a little bigger. As we find ourselves today talking about a circle a little bigger than the disciples... We're talking about followers. When you read the Gospel of Mark in particular, you see that there's this clear distinction Mark draws in his language between the disciples and the followers. You see, the followers were a larger group of people, of individuals, of various levels of commitment who, who were all positively inclined towards Jesus. They are all on side with Jesus. They are all pro-Jesus, following him. But that is the group from which Jesus chose the twelve. Now, we see this very clearly, for example, in Luke's gospel as well, in Luke chapter 10. When Luke speaks of Jesus sending out the 72, remember that passage, maybe you've read that at some point, where Jesus sends out the 72 followers, obviously bigger than 12. And they went out to proclaim the kingdom of God. They had a purpose. They had a mission. He gave them power over evil spirits. And then even into our own time, we see that from the time of the apostles, those 12 guys and, and beyond, as they went out to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, there was kind of a swell. The numbers of followers would swell right up to this very day where there's over 2 billion people alive on this earth today who claim Jesus Christ as part of their identity. Now today, that word followers, we understand it to mean a person who has accepted Jesus' sacrifice for their forgiveness, for the forgiveness of their sins. And when a person makes that decision, they become a spirit-filled individual, and they then go forth trying to live according to his teachings. So what we call a follower. But what would you call a group followers. What would you call it if a group of followers came together? Now we're familiar with this concept in our world that when you have an individual but then you get a bunch of individual things together, sometimes the way we refer to them changes a little bit. So we're going to play a little bit of a game to start off the message here today. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you a picture. You tell me what's in the picture and then we're going to see what a group of those is. So it's going to be really easy. So let's start with this one for example. If my remote will work here. There we go. What are these? Lions. Well done. See, it's not a hard test. What do you call a group of lions? A pride. Right. It's called a pride. This is going to be finicky today. That will be a lot of fun. (laughs) Okay. There we go. What do you call the? There we go. You already got it. Okay. See, it's finicky. Okay. Let's go with the gaggle of geese. Right? I'll just do this all message. You'll just... (laughs) <laughs> okay, so after geese, what's, what's one more? The next one here, we've got crows. What do you call a group of crows? A murder, right, yes. I, I right out of Alfred Hitchcock, a scary movie about crows, a murder. Okay, here's one a little more tricky. What, what's this next one? Yeah, they're actually alligators, but crocodiles is, is, is not uh, a, no, a bad guess for that. So alligators, what do you think you call a group of Alligators. Scary, yes. <laughs> you may not know this one, but, but you call them a congregation. Because <laughs> they're snapping at each other all the time. Maybe I don't know, I'm not sure why you call it a congregation. They're called a congregation of alligators, though. How about this next one? Vultures. What do you think you call a group of vultures? <laughs> yes, there's a lot of good jokes for this one. Yeah. You call a group of vultures... A committee. We try to not have too many committees at the church because of the, the vultures. Now, vultures and alligators are not all that cute, so let's do a bit of a cuter one. What do you call these? Now, I, I, did, I learned something this week. I learned a lot of things this week, but this is something I learned this week. What do you think a group of pandas is called? I have no idea. It is called an embarrassment of pandas. I don't know where that came from. All I can figure is that somebody was like, look at those embarrassing pandas. They are just an embarrassment. And it probably stuck. Oh, look, it's an embarrassment of pandas is probably, probably what stuck with that one. But here's, here's the question I want to get to. What do we call a group of Christ followers? We call them the, the church. Right. And now that word church is familiar in society. But we don't always understand the exact definition of the church. You see, most commonly when you talk to people and you say, well, what is the church? Especially people in the world around us, they say, well, the church is a building. It's, it's, a, it's a, something that has an address in my neighborhood. It's a place of, of religion. And some religions would say it's a place you go to. It's a place where God dwells. It's a place where you go to meet with God. But the origin of the word and the proper use of that word in the Christian faith is something very different. See, the word church is actually an English translation of two words that we find in the Bible, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, that have a related meaning. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll come across the word gehau. And this is used over a hundred times, and it means assembly. Now, it's somewhat of a non-distinct assembly. It can be used to refer to an assembly of soldiers, an assembly of prophets, an assembly of the people of God is one common way that it is used. But there's another word that we find in the New Testament called uh, ecclesia, which also means assembly, but it takes it to another extended definition. It means an assembly of people who are called out. And in the case of the Greek world, Where Greek citizens were called out, they were heralded to gather together for a special purpose at the city square. Quite often political purposes, but they were heralded. They were called out as citizens of of, of the empire to come together for a special purpose. Kind of like we're going to do tomorrow uh, when we all vote. We will be a nation that is called out for a specific purpose. We'll be going to specific places to do a particular task that we've all been tasked with. Now, the early church adopted this, and they grabbed this idea of an assembly of people who are called out, but this time they are called out by God for a special purpose. Now, right from the start, the church has always been about the people, but a people with a purpose. So what is that purpose? Well, Jesus actually reveals for us two aspects of that purpose in his final prayer we find in John chapter 17. Now, if you've read John 17 before, you know that this whole chapter is one big prayer that Jesus offered when he was in the upper room following the Last Supper, and before the disciples went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would subsequently be arrested and tried and, and killed. And so this is final prayer. And at the first part, he prays for himself, for, for what is about to take place in his life. But then in the middle part, he prays for unity and protection of his followers because things are heating up. The persecution is coming against him, and, and he's been kind of with them and, and kind of standing in front of them a little bit to take some of, the, some of the shots from the religious leaders and from the community, but he's going to be removed pretty soon, and so he prays for their unity and their protection once that takes place. But then in the last part of the prayer... He prays for all followers, all followers who would come after that time. And we read this. He says, I pray not only for these disciples, those who are there in the room with him, his 12, his life group, but I also pray for all who will believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you have sent me in this passage we see twofold understanding of what the future followers which constitutes the church were to be about number 1 we see that they were to be one that they were to be more than just an organization they were to be more than just an exclusive group they were to be unified more than just a club that you belong to, to have this bond, this unity like father and son relationship where where there's caring, there's serving, there's protection, there, there is love like no other relationship that you would find. But then secondly, we also see that they were to behave in such a fashion that the world may believe. You see, what the church does goes beyond just assembling Because when the church assembles, it's to have a missional purpose. It's to have a positive influence beyond itself. The biblical definition of the church begins with followers of Christ coming together. The the forgiven, spirit-filled, Jesus-following people coming and assembling together. But that is an incomplete definition unless we understand ourselves as being on mission together. Now, there's a great example of what this looks like and an analogy that we're going to spend a few minutes looking at today in the way that Paul addressed his churches. If you open the New Testament and and you see books like Ephesians and Galatians and Thessalonians, these are letters that Paul wrote to churches. And in one of those particular letters, a letter to the Corinthians, he uses a different term to refer to the church. Any thoughts on what that term might be? He called them a body a body of Jesus Christ. Now, the body is an analogy he uses to describe how a whole bunch of unique people can be a unified whole. And he says this in 1 Corinthians twelve twelve. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Now, I'm gonna guess many of us have these in our bedroom somewhere, these, these full, full body mirrors. Right? Or each morning you get up and, and you walk by it, you look in it, and you see all sorts of stuff. Right? There's some stuff you like, some stuff that makes you suck it in, some stuff that makes the guys flex. Right? Guys can't walk by a mirror and not get one of those. But when you look in the mirror, you're, you're going to see a mouth, you're, you're going to see eyes, you're going to see ears, you're going to see hands, elbows, hair, feet, you're going to see your belly. Some of us have six-packs, some of us have cases, but you're, you're going to see... All sorts of things in that mirror. That's all you. That makes up one body. Now remember, you on your own are a follower of Jesus Christ. But put some clothes on that body and then come assemble with others. You are now the body of Jesus Christ. And what happens when the body assembles? Well, When the body assembles, it has this incredible ability and in empowering to bring new life in unique ways into the lives of other people. The body of Christ can be the hands of Christ as it serves others in the name and under the direction of Jesus. It can be the feet of Jesus as it goes to visit and bring a meal and and journeys side by side with one another to all the destinations that life may take us on. We can be the mouth of Jesus Christ as we as we use words to encourage and to build up and to share truth with grace into the life of another person. We can be the heart of Christ as we express his love to those who are lonely or broken, forsaken, or hopeless. Now, all of us have some body parts that we like more than the others. We're all part of a body. We can, we can look at our own bodies in the mirror, and there are some parts that we like and appreciate more than others, and we know what those ones are. But when there's the parts that we're not as fond with, whether it be in ourselves or even within the whole church as the body of Christ, it can actually lead to a problem, a couple of problems. One problem it can lead to is this sense of jealousy. It can also lead to a problem of comparison. And comparison becomes an issue when, when we don't like something about ourselves and we see what we believe to be the idealization of that particular body part in somebody else. We know what that looks like in our own selves. But it can happen in the body of Christ too. And we can find those within the church that say, you know, if I wasn't here, yeah, it wouldn't matter. No one would notice if I just kind of slipped out the back door. It's, or, you know, I, you know, I, I've, I've I'm kind of gotten a little older and so I'm not needed as much. My time has passed. And I look at these people around and it's like, oh, when when she prays and she can just like weave scripture into her prayers, it's like this holy poem she puts together. I I can't pray like that. Or When this person teaches, there's just such a confidence that they have. and, and And I lack that confidence. You know, even if I taught a kid's class, I bet you the kids know more than I do. Or I don't, I don't have the energy to serve like he does. It seems like every time I turn around, he's here doing something, and I'm having a hard time just doing one thing. Or, you know, my ways are a little more old-fashioned. My ideas aren't as fresh as they used to be. It's, they're not as relevant. These types of things come up within the body of Christ. But continuing further through this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, listen to what Paul says about this, because it doesn't just happen today. It happened back in his church that he was writing to in Corinth as well. He says this, starting in verse 14. He says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that not make it any less part of the body? And if an ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell anything? See, if you've ever had any of those thoughts, if you've ever, ever felt like you could just slip out the back door and nobody would notice and it, it doesn't matter, what I'm offering wouldn't cause the church any issues, I want you to hear this today. I want you to hear that you are important. I want you to hear that you make an invaluable difference to God and to the body here at West Meadows. You matter. Everyone has something to contribute. I believe that God has placed every single person here in this body, in this body at West Meadows, to use their gifts, to use what they bring to make us stronger. You're invaluable. Sometimes we feel more like a like a nickel in our pocket, full of change. You pull that change out of your pocket, and you might drop a couple of nickels, and you, and you may not even stop walking because it's it's just a nickel. I'm not going to get on my knees and look under the car and try and search around for it and take the time and get all dirty. I got a handful of nickels. I don't need to find that particular one. Sometimes we can feel like that, but, but here's here's more accurately how we should view it. If I were to take my kids when they were younger and we go to Galaxy Land like Thina was speaking of. And when it comes time to go, I'm like, oh, there's Kalina, there's Samuel. Anyone seen Josh? Josh, where's Josh? Is Josh around? Oh, it's getting kinda late. Hey, two out of three ain't bad, right? <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. We can make more. Two out of three, that's not a problem, right? No, you would never do that because I'd have to explain it to Nadine. And and she would not see it the same way. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you wouldn't do that because your family is incomplete even if just one is missing. Jesus told the story of having 100 sheep and one wanders off. He didn't step back and go, 99 is pretty good, 1% margin of error, statistically okay. He, d- he did not do that. He, he searched. He left and went, found it, picked it up, brought it back because it was not full and complete until he had them all. You matter to Jesus Christ. You are an invaluable part of the body. Never, ever devalue what you have to offer. Now, there are those who will also say, well, my contribution might matter, but, but what I can offer, my, my, the size of my donation, the, the amount I can contribute, the, the level of my ability is too small. It's too insignificant. Well, that's not devoid of truth. There are some gifts, some abilities that are bigger, that, that are more public, that they gain more attention than others. But please don't use that as the measurement to interpret the importance of what you can do. In verse 22 of this passage, Paul continues and he says, In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest, the, the least important, are actually the most necessary. Take, for example, your hand. Not all fingers get the same attention, right? We, we got our thumbs, and thumbs we can use to give approval. Thumbs we can play video games with. We can even hitch a ride. I don't know if that happens anymore, but back in the day, we used to hitch a ride with our thumbs. We got our pointer fingers, right? You can select something. I like that one with your pointer finger. You can push buttons at the ATM with your pointer finger. It fits in your nose really well. It, it's an important <laughs> finger, right? The other ones don't work, I won't show you the middle finger right? So Then there's the middle finger right? That gets more attention than it probably should But we can all agree that if you see it it, it it gets attention right? It has an impact If you see that one But then we have our ring fingers For whatever reason we've chosen This is the finger we put jewelry on We decorate this finger This is the finger that holds the symbol Of our marriage covenants Then there's pinky What does pinky do? Pinky gets forgotten. Pinky goes wee-wee-wee all the way home, and that's probably about all pinky is known for. But did you know that studies have shown that 50% of your hand strength resides in your pinky? 50% of your hand strength resides in your pinky. It is the strongest of all your fingers. Sometimes there are parts of the body that are less visible, that seem less important than others. And in fact, they're actually the most critical. They're the most critical and the most capable of bringing new life to a person. You see me, you look at what I offer on a Sunday morning and say, well, your, your preaching is very public. It's, it's to a lot of people. It causes new life. Maybe. But, but here's the reality. I can't do what I do if it were not for our tech people up in the booth. You would not be able to hear me. You would not be able to see me if they were not doing their jobs. They get here at least an hour earlier than I do, if not more. And they are unseen for the most part. Alpha leadership. Oh, those alpha leaders, they they sit with the people and they they enter into their lives, they talk, they share the truth of Jesus' love, and, and they lead people to Christ. True. They bring new life. But one of the most critical parts of alpha is the food. It, it gets missed sometimes, but, but when you have food, people tend to come together in community. They spend more time together. They share their lives more. It moves it from just being a, a class where you sit in rows and learn to sitting around a table and sharing lives. And yet we don't often see the people who drop off the baking, who, who make the coffee, who, who clean up afterwards. Yet the leaders wouldn't be able to do what they do if it wasn't for those who serve behind the scenes. You may think, well, I, I want to faithfully tithe, but what I have to offer is just a, it's a drop in the bucket. It wouldn't matter that much if you didn't receive my drop in the bucket. Don't sell it short. God takes every gift that we give to him. He multiplies it. He blesses it. He uses it for his purposes in the world around us, in the community among us, but also within ourselves. And one thing that often gets missed when we look at these contributions we can make through, whether it be as a parent, we're reading the Bible or praying or, or tithing at the church, is we are demonstrating that in front of our children, and we're leaving a legacy for them to say, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It begins with us doing that, and you cannot put a price tag or a measurement on the legacy of leaving faithful service to Jesus. A pastor goes to a home and, and, and comforts a person going through a difficult time and brings new life into that moment. But we don't often see the prayer warrior who was on their knees in their bedroom praying for that pastor every day. Those people who are social butterflies in the foyer making all these connections with new people who come in and, and yet we don't often remember the person who set up the tables and chairs to give them a place to sit. Who made the coffee to give them something to drink while they engage in this moment. You see, you may never know the difference that your contribution makes to others within the body of Christ. You may never know how the story finishes, but there's a good chance that story would not even happen if it were not for you serving in a little way behind the scenes. Your voice, your contribution, your participation, it matters to God, and it matters to the body here at West Meadows. You matter. You matter to the assembly of Christ followers the church, the body here at West Meadows. And your participation makes a difference here, but it also matters to the world around us. Because recall that first passage we looked at back in Jesus' prayer in, in, in John 17. Remember, after Jesus prayed for the unity of all followers, he adds this brief but critical statement. He says, I pray, I pray that all I pray that all will be one as you and I are one. As you are me and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you have sent me. Something special happens when the people of God assemble together. For better or worse, something special happens when the people of God gather together. See, when the body's fighting when it's having some disunity, it's divided, it's focused inward only upon itself, when it's known more for what it's against than what it's for, those who are watching and observing start to wonder, what, what, what difference does, does Jesus make in the life of those people? Is that, where's the power and the presence of Jesus that I've heard about? You know, if that's what it means to be a Christ follower, you know, I really don't need another argument in my life. I really don't need more stress in my life. But when the body is unified, when the body is serving and supporting, equipping, when it is thriving, Jesus' power is manifest within the body. And the world takes notice and moves towards that because it's unique and it's special and it's different and it touches something that they will not find anywhere else. And when that happens, the world comes to believe that he has come. Because it makes a difference in the body that they're observing and seeing. See, when Jesus prays for unity, and when Paul teaches that we all have a role to play in the body, he's not just doing that for our own sakes, but also for the sake of the world that Jesus loves and that Jesus gave his very life for. Therefore, it stands to reason that if we are followers of Jesus, that we too should be serving, giving, and loving for the sake of the world who is watching. And this did take place as this happened in the early church. We see this as early as in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 to 47, we see this starting to happen as they're getting their legs under them. And, and follow along here with me. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, they were all together, they had everything in common. We see in this first couple verses here, there's this unity, this serving, this experiencing the power of Jesus that happens when the followers of Christ come together and his powers manifest among them. But then it continues. They sold property and possessions and they gave to everyone who had need. They were not just together, but they were caring and supporting and encouraging one another in every way possible. And it continues, every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Like Jesus had prayed for them to be one, they're following through on that. And what was the impact of it? What difference did it make, not just amongst themselves, but the world around us? Well, the final verse in verse 47, it shows the impact in the world, that if you are unified, Father, may they be one as we are one, so that the world may believe. As they did the unity stuff, the final verse says, they enjoyed the favor of all people, and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. And the world believed Jesus had come because of their unity. Because of the love, because they served, encouraged one another in the body of Christ. Something special, unique happens when the followers of Jesus assemble. It doesn't just benefit us, it impacts the world. See, part of our vision here is to be the heart of new life in West as, and that includes West as not just being a place where those who are seeking to know and follow Jesus can assemble together but that we can be on mission together. And the mission is not that, that we would just be together. The mission is not that we would be this exclusive, only, members-only club. you got to have a checklist. you got to fill in this form. you got to meet these criteria before you can come in, and, and otherwise we're just going to keep the world out. That, that wasn't the message. That wasn't the mission. See, so the mission Jesus gave us The mission he gave his church, the mission he gave his body, this body at West Meadows here in Lewis Farms is to go. We are to go and to make disciples of all nations. We are to go and to baptize people in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. We are to go and teach them to obey everything that he has commanded us. We are to go to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our places of work, our places of entertainment, to the places of government. We are to go revealing the good news that Jesus Christ brings new life to all who hear and choose to receive that. And if we believe that Jesus brings new life... If we have experienced that new life within ourselves, if we look at the world around us on Facebook, on TV, in our neighborhoods, if we look at that and the thought going through our mind is they need Jesus, that's our cue. That's our cue as the assembled follower of Jesus to go into all the world. To go to the lonely, to those who have lost hope, to go to the struggling families, to go to those with broken relationships, to go to those who are seeking community and friendship, support, are seeking people that they can trust, to go to those who are seeking purpose and are stuck in addiction, to go to those who are dying in the guilt of their sin without Jesus Christ. We are to go. So that the world may know that the Father has sent his Son to bring new life now and for all eternity to be welcomed into the body of Christ, to be welcomed here at West Meadows and discover that life is better with Jesus. If you've never experienced that new life through Jesus Christ, if you've never heard the message or or personally accepted the message that Jesus loves you, that he came to give himself as a sacrifice, to to, to pay the debt that we could not pay because all of us have sinned, all of us have wronged God and one another and, and there's a penalty that is beyond us to have the ability to solve. But the good news is that Jesus came to stand in the gap that we could not stand in, to pay the price we could not pay. And that forgiveness is complete. We simply need to receive it and say, thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for me. You gave your life for me, I now give you mine. If that is not something you have done or if you have done that in your seat where you sit even today, come speak with me or some of the prayer people at the front following the service here today. We want to talk more with you and what that looks like going forward. If you are part of the body of Christ and and you believe the lie for too long that I'm not needed, no one's going to miss me if I slip out the back door. My contribution doesn't matter. If you have believed that lie, hear these words today. You are important. You are invaluable to God. You are invaluable to us. We need you. I do not believe that only pastors and leaders are called to churches. I believe that all people are called to be part of a particular body and that is part of God's plan for that body, that you are part of God's plan for us here at West Meadows. Listen to the spirit that is speaking to you. Lean into that. Step up and step in. Lead, serve, give. Because I believe that if we are faithful with what we've been called to do, Not only will we experience the strength and the blessing here in the body of Christ at West Meadows, but the world will know that he has come because his power will be manifest among us. At West Meadows, we are not a people that are just assembled together. We are a people who are called out by God to be on mission together. Amen.